You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now your hosts, Daniel San Angelo and Trey Harris. What's your name, scumbag? Sir, Robert Brown, sir! Bullshit, from now on, you're Private Snowball. Do you like that name? Sir, yes, sir! Well, there's one thing that you won't like, Private Snowball. They don't serve fried chicken and watermelon on a daily basis <laughs> in my mess hall. Sir, yes, sir! Is that you, John Wayne? Is this me? Who said that? Who the fuck said that? Who's the slimy little communist shit twinkle toad cocksucker down here who just signed his own death warrant? Nobody, huh? The very fucking godmother said it. I'm fucking standing. I will PT you all until you fucking die. I'll PT you until your assholes are sucking buttermilk. Was it you, you scroungy little fuck, huh? Sir, no, sir. You little piece of shit, you look like a fucking worm. I bet it was you. Sir, no, sir. Sir, I said it, sir. That's brave of you, Daniel. To admit that you said that. In case you didn't notice, we are an explicit podcast here at 80s Revisited. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Harris. I'm the other, Daniel fucking San Angelo. <laughs> no, you're Private Joker now! Funny man! And with, a, with us, as, as always, is our gunnery sergeant, Jay Sedgley. Yes, I am! But luckily, he doesn't verbally abuse us, as well as some physical abuse at times, like gunnery sergeant Hartman. His abuse is the type that feels good. <laughs> I am a pleasure to be around. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, July 10th, 1987. IMDb 8.4, Rotten Tomatoes 94% critics and 94% audience. Needless to say, most people like it. it didn't say if this was for the whole mo- these reviews are for the whole movie or just the first half. However, that's what it says. Uh, the budget was $17 million estimated, unlike last week's movie, which we didn't have any information for. I'm proud to tell you these fun facts. <laughs> Opening $2.2 million, domestic gross $46.3, and we always love to find out the rentals, which I was able to find for this film. Another, an additional $22.7 million just on rentals alone. And I was none of those, because this movie was not played in my house, <laughs> although I did watch it at my aunt's house several times. <laughs> so, anyway... Uh, again, this is our second Kubrick movie, and it's and it's funny too. I was thinking about this earlier today when I was writing up my notes. Uh, the first group of movies that we did had uh, I don't know. I'm sorry, it wasn't for this, but we had the you know we had the two movies that we did that day with Pee Wee and Teen Wolf, where it had uh, they both had uh, uh, whatever Francis. Francis in it, and then we had last week or week before last we had Beverly Hills Cop and Rambo, where it had the same villain in it. Yep. So there's all, there's some like dupe, there's like a connection between the movies we're doing each time. This one, the connection is they're both something to do with Vietnam. Of course, this is in Vietnam. And then last week's Deadliest Prey, which I hope you all watched on YouTube. Uh, if not, stop this. Go watch it. Listen to last week's podcast. Come back and listen about Full Metal Jacket. But, of course, the tagline for Deadliest Deadly Prey was, in Vietnam, he was the best, dot, 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 he still is. <laughs> so that's the, the connection between the two movies we're recording today uh, is Vietnam. It's Vietnam weeks. Yeah, at 80s Revisited. But yeah, directed by probably one of the, if not the greatest director of all time, Stanley Kubrick. Of course, one of Daniel's favorite movies, The Shining, also 2001. Uh, He's also done another, a couple of war movies in the form of uh, Barry Lyndon and also uh, the Kirk Douglas black and white classic, which is a really good movie, Paths of Glory. Uh, The screenplay was written by Kubrick as well, along with Michael Hare and Gustav Hasford. Hasford wrote a book called The Short Timers, upon which this movie was based. Uh, I didn't get too much information on the book, haven't read it myself, but it's uh, a lot of the characters in here are based on people that he knew uh, through his time uh, in the Marines at Vietnam. So there's, there's, there's is truth in this movie, so to speak, at least, you know, according to him. Uh, Matthew Modine was Private Joker, uh, strangely enough. He was the Joker, and he played in The Dark Knight Rises, which Ooh. the Joker wasn't in because Heath Ledger's dead. So I always, always kind of wonder what they would have done, like if he, if he not if he didn't die, if there was any storyline thread, like when Bane releases all the prisoners, if the Joker never gets watched, out too. Or I never watched the third one yet. Really? Have it, on, have it on Blu-ray and everything. You watched. should watch it. Yeah, I should. <laughs> I, re- I think it's really good. 
Yeah. You, of course, you gotta get all the Bane references. Yeah. You should watch the movie, Daniel! <laughs> anyway. Uh, and also, uh, Modine was in Gross Anatomy. Uh, Adam Ball. Adam Bowen. Uh, of course, was Animal Mother. This is the only thing I've ever knew him for until the great little TV show called Firefly came out and he was Jane and Firefly. I uh, knew him from Independence Day. Oh, yeah, that too. I'm sorry. Yeah. He was that uh, Navy officer yeah. or whatever. Is that glass bulletproof? No, sir. Forgot his name. I'm no, I'm pretty good at Independence Day, but that's true trivia. But I forgot his name. I did have it written down. I just have my mic in the way. I can't read my notes here. I put ID four because that was <laughs> the teaser poster I had in my room when Sam Goody at Private the mall Mitchell? sold. Maybe it was Sergeant Mitchell. It might have just been. I, have to, I want to look familiar. that shit up as soon as our producer gets back. We can. Or Major you got, Mitchell. You got a fancy new iPhone now. You can look it up. I think his name was Major Mitchell. <laughs> Major Mitchell. Keep talking, I'll look it up. I, I, I have no problem continuing to talk. But, uh, of course, uh, again, Adam Baldwin's Jane Firefly reprised, reprised that role in Serenity. Uh, I saw him three years ago at the New Orleans Comic Con. Didn't go talk to him because I heard a, I read a story online since then that, like, pretty much if you go up and approach him, even just to say, hey, you know, I like what you do and you don't even want an autograph or you just want to tell him thank you, he's kind of a dick to you. So, we'll see. That's gay. Huh. Maybe. That's just what one person said when I was on vacation in Tennessee, which is funny because me and Jesse were talking about that earlier today. Uh, we, For some reason, we just looked up like meanest celeb- like what celebrities are actually dicks in person. And there was a whole Reddit thread of like people that met different celebrities and their encounter with them. Uh, quick aside, of course, but uh, they said Adam Baldwin was kind of a dick. And just They just wanted to like, tell him thank you and didn't want anything from him. Just, they just wanted to let him know that they were appreciative. Uh some people on the set of The Office said Jim and Pam, uh, I forget their names, Jenna Fisher and Krasinski, John Krasinski are in person. They're actually kind of dicks. Uh, oh, we all know Jennifer Lopez is. Uh, <laughs> Julia Roberts. Uh, one of the st- uh, A couple of people had like some good things to say about some people. Like One dude said that he met Bono somewhere, and like the dude didn't get to ask a single que- uh, more than a couple of questions to Bono. Uh, Major Mitchell, Daniel got it right. Independence Day trivia champion. Yeah. Uh, but he said Bono was more interested in talking to him about his life than he... I often heard Depp is nice mm-hmm. when you get into a conversation with him. And there was, uh, there was a shock... Oh, uh, not a shocking one, but uh, Zach Braff is a real dick, according to the Reddit thread. I heard about that one. Uh, and then uh, for some reason, David Boreans or whatever, I don't, however you pronounce his last name, he's on Bones, he was Angel and Buffy. Mm-hmm. But apparently like if, if you're an extra on set with him and you look him in the eyes, he'll have you removed. That's the degree of... Dickishness that some of people have. I heard that Cameron have. Diaz was a, was a hard to deal with, but doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Number five on this list is Eddie Murphy, and the story is once met Eddie Murphy. I told him I like Shrek. He replied with, "I like that boulder. That is a nice boulder." Is that a really dick thing to say, though? That would be awesome if he said I, that exactly. To me. That's what I was thinking. That's one of my favorite lines he <laughs> says on Shrek. <laughs> so I, I don't, don't even know what that reference. I haven't seen it. So yeah, I don't even. You haven't seen Shrek? No. I seen. Well, I might have seen the first one once. I can't quote anything. Oh, I can oh. quote one line from it. You're a monster. Yeah, and that's it. Oh, wow. not yeah, a Shrek nice. fan. Bold, from the first one. Yeah. I, I believe you guys. It's cool. Yeah. See, all the other ones say like stories that are you know where he's kind of a they're pricks and but that one. Is. <laughs> uh, uh, but look for the Reddit thread. Like, if you're interested in like stories like that, because we like we sat there for like two hours, like just reading the stories. Like, apparently Tom Petty's kind of a dick. Mm. Were, like there were some it was sad to read like oh man no this person like, anybody can be an asshole anytime you know what I'm saying like not everybody can be like man, have a good day. like the, the face of the assholes <laughs> yeah I've heard uh, her and like Julia Roberts are like two of the worst mm. like people ever to work like people won't even work with them and like refuse to except for American Idol people well they probably gave her enough money and all yeah. that yeah oh, there's the, like this might be it like yeah or, this this is based on according to Reddit okay yeah this Yep, so yeah. look that up if you want to hear that. But anyway, <laughs> shut up. Easily. Shut up. Oh, there you go. Yeah, actually, that is it, because I remember that stupid picture of him where it talks about how he like he has his assistant bring his coffee and leave it outside his trailer, and then he opens the door when nobody's looking to grab it. Just a weird fucking dude. Anyway, we're talking about Full Metal Jacket. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio was Gomer Pyle, probably the second I, most I didn't even character. know that was him. Well, he gained like 70 pounds I, for this I, role. I looked it up afterward, and I was like, oh, shit. Uh, but of course he was in the cell, Men in Black, uh, Ed Wood, uh, and then the honestly the most important character in the film, Arlie Army, is Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a great movie, 
but he tr- and it's a Kubrick movie, so I mean it's it's de- it's a fantastic film. It's told very well, but he steals every scene he's in. Yep, and he's hmm. and he's pretty much an asshole, but he's so awesome. And then when you do what you're gonna say later on, you get to know yeah. the behind the scenes stuff about that. And, yeah. and 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 honestly, after like knowing that, like it's even better. Yes. He's such like a <laughs> good dude. In fact, my brother works at Infinity Ward, and they got he got to meet him not too long ago because he was doing some vo- like they did a voice pack, mm. which I think is stupid. You know, <laughs> here buy this voice pack. You know, my any microtransaction on any game to me is just Matt that, met him too. That's ridiculous. Uh, at a car show, that's still awesome. Like mm-hmm. he's like one of the people I'd love to meet. Mm-hmm. Like he's just, he's just a good actor. Arlie Army said but, he was really nice too, but he was also in the Salt and Sea with Val Kilmer, which is a great uh, movie. Uh, he's in Seven, of course. He was in Toy Story. He has, uh, Army Men, and uh, of course the TV show Mail Call, which uh, only watched the intro of the show because that's where he is. <laughs> and he had like he had another show where he talked like about army weapons or something. I think briefly. Don't you know how to mute that phone? Actually, mine's not <laughs> muted either, so I'm going to mute it. Oh man! Just in case. But anyway, uh, this movie is I'm what sorry. made Arlie Army practically a household name these days. I mean, everybody knows. Here, if you hear somebody barking in order like that. Uh, Chances are the first thing that pops in your head is a scene from Full Metal Jacket. Uh, Dorian Harewood was 8-Ball. He was also in Sudden Death with Van Damme and Gothic with Holly Berry. And Arliss Howard was Cowboy. He was recently in Moneyball and uh, also The Lost World, the terrible sequel to Jurassic Park. And also The Tearjerker, Time Traveler's Wife with Eric Bana and Rachel McAdams. If you haven't seen it, it's a good movie, but keep a T-Nex. A Kleenex handy. (laughs) Too many T's. Time Traveler. Time Traveler. And stuff. But anyway, so Daniel, have you ever seen this movie before until nope, recently? Have you ever heard about it? Nope. I mean, I've, yeah, I've heard about it. The thing I knew about it was that uh, we used to have some sound clips of him. Of him just yelling. Yeah. You on never com- knew what it was on from. On our computer. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now you've seen what it's from. Yes. You've seen your second Stanley Kubrick movie. Yes. What did you think of Full Metal Jacket? Loved it. I thought so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> two for two. Um, again, the first part... I could watch. I could watch it right now. And mm-hmm. I have no problem. Yeah, that first half of the movie is a nine, probably for. I know I'm going to score it out too, early, but yeah, it's, it's fine. Don't matter. It's fantastic, and uh, it's not bad. The second half isn't bad at all. Uh, well, it's it's pretty good towards the end. Yeah, but uh, it, it doesn't touch the beginning. And like you're right, like you said, Ermy. It right when he. I mean, spoiler alert, right when he gets shot, you're like, oh, no. Yeah, you're like, oh, man. It's like, Not it's this. sad. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 weird when that happens yeah. because watching it, you know, Pyle's the real victim here. You know, like, and it's just like, you don't care. You're like, no, you dumbass. Yes, shoot yourself, you fucking idiot, because you just killed Gunnery yeah. Sergeant Hartman. Pyle has a good little sinister look towards him, oh, too. Like that, yeah. He's like, oh, shit. He, he looks legit like psychotic. Like, you're like, oh, this I would I would run. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get the wrong way. I mean, I'm, like, Joker, like, if that would have been me, I probably would have shit myself. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, you know. I didn't know the Me Love You Long Time. Oh. It was, I think it's actually from something before this. It's from this. That oh, told, okay. From Baby I Got Back. something and, else happened before. Well, it was also. But sta- not, like, made popular, like, because of this, it was made popular, like. Yeah, I mean, mm. this like this is the line it's from, and yeah. it was also used before Baby Got Back, but in Two Live Crew, Me So Horny. Yeah. Of course, it was sampled in that, sampled in Two Live Crew. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Baby Got Back. Mm. But yeah, this is, uh, I was, in fact, I was talking to my wife because we watched it together because she loves Arlie Army. I don't think she ever, she might have only seen the second half of the movie once simply but kind of the same reason. Mm. Uh, it's, it's weird because the first half of the movie, it's almost hard to describe what kind of movie it is because it's, it's comedy. It's drama. It's it's really that. It, <coughs> it would have been a great short. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just because it's it's dealing with this, uh, stru- of them you know structuring them to go to Vietnam and then showing them in Vietnam. It really has no point in the movie. You, like they never really go back to it when they're at Vietnam. He'll yeah. never they him and uh, what's the other guy? Cowboy. Cowboy never really talk about it. It's kind of like two separate movies. Yeah. yeah. Part one and part two. Yeah. But it's just It doesn't amazing. develop their characters yeah. as much as develops the two characters that... That didn't die. Exactly. Yeah, that yeah, die. That's a perfect point. 
Well, it's also, I mean, of course, the main, of course, the main character is Modine's character, a Joker. And of course, he's the one, you know, it's like, I know when I, even though I, you don't kind of know what's going to happen, I still hate it when he just hits Gomer Pyle with their soap. Yeah. And of course, that's what this right, is from. If you ever right. seen any scenes where they have, under, I think the Simpsons did that mm-hmm. once with something, I'm something sure similar. Or I think maybe <laughs> South Park did. Uh, but that's what, the, you know, that's from and everything. Uh, you know, he just beats the shit out. Like, he doesn't hit him once. He hits him like four or five times. How did like, he not get a supporting nod? He didn't get a Oscar or Golden Globe. Did they have Golden Globe back then? Um, maybe not. Well, I don't know. Golden mm-hmm. Globes. Yeah, in the 80s, they should have. Yeah. I, maybe. How did he not Maybe get you should one? have a... Uh, 80s Revisited Awards for episode. <laughs> hey, the 100th 100. episode special's coming up. <laughs> yeah. Who knows Anything what goes. surprises are going to be in that jam-packed episode. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, because this first half, you know, Modine, you're showing him how he's not afraid of authority, so to speak. He'll stand up for something, but then he also follows. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, in the second half, he has so, somewhat of freedom of self, so to speak. But then in the end, he's the one that shoots the the sniper. He's the one that actually kills her. I mean, she's mm-hmm. dead anyway, but he's the one that shoots her. And he also sees uh, his little friend, I forget his name in the film, the little blonde dude, you know, that's scared to death taking pictures. Yeah. But then once he kills the chick, he's like, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like, he's he's gone. He's gone. Yeah. He, he's, he's gone from what Joker was trying to keep for himself to, like, Animal Mother and, uh, I forget the blonde guy's name. He's like, hey, this is my friend. It's his birthday. I forget <laughs> his name. Uh, but it, it's showing that kind of what Platoon did in a different way where Platoon is a straight up emotional drama of Charlie Sheen's character this is like this full, uh, Platoon is more real to me if that makes any sense because Oliver Stone directed it he wrote it you know he's telling his what he lost in Vietnam so it's a little more personal so to speak but Kubrick just nails like more reality to me of like how the mentality of everything flows into one another and, you know, it, the movie is not bookended, but part one ends with a Mickey Mouse reference. And in the end of the movie, they're singing the Mickey Mouse theme song. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's a duality. They're, they're, they're sitting here walking through a burning village with dead men, women, and children. Their friend's dead, people wounded, crying, and they're singing Mickey Mouse. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful... Uh, what's the stupid word I'm looking for? I was trying to use a big word and sound intelligent, but now I just sound <laughs> stupid because I forgot the damn word. Duology. Was <laughs> to make up a word. <laughs> There's a better word for it, but it escapes me at the moment. But yeah, contrast. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> good contrast. But uh, and we all know, of course, from The Shining, uh, that Kubrick likes to do a lot of takes. So, just imagine. In fact, uh, I, D'Onofrio even was stated how that over the course of filming this movie, Matthew Modine got married impregnated his wife, celebrated the birth of his child, and had that child's first birthday while still working on this movie. Jeez. So, oh, here we go. Academy Awards nominated. Well, Best Writing, Screenplay, okay. yeah, Golden Globes. Yeah, he did Globes. get a nom for Golden Globe. Good. Something, at least. Mm-hmm. Definitely deserved it. And let's see. Boston, oh, Boston's. Oh, he won Boston Society of Film Critics. Uh, okay, so the 80s revisited 1987 Best Actor Award goes to <laughs> Arlie Ermey. <laughs> yeah great guy as we'll get to in the trivia but uh jesse i'm sure you've seen full metal jacket what do mm-hmm. you think oh it's great great movie uh and to me it uh in, in fact every time i watch it i like i think of this I, th- I think this and it just brings true to me full metal jacket is the movie that spielberg wanted saving private ryan to be yeah probably but it's not. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not, I'm not saying it's not a bad movie. I mean, it's a, I'm not saying saying Private Ryan's a bad movie, but Spielberg is a Kubrick whore. Like, I mean, that's his favorite director. I don't know if someone like Tom Hanks could do that. <laughs> what? Do do something. Oh, something oh. Is great. oh and yeah. also the script wasn't there. Yeah. The script wasn't there to be like a full metal jacket. True. I mean, very true. And, you know, World War II is it's a different story. I mean, th- there's some great, phenomenal stories in World War II. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's the greatest generation, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of respect for all those. But Vietnam is, the, is like the most polarizing conflict in American history. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you know, like you were saying, uh, was it this episode or last episode? I mean, uh, earlier this episode or last episode, we're talking, excuse me, talking about a, you know. A, a, so a double v- down does. A, <laughs> indigestion, that's right. <laughs> uh, you know, a happy Vietnam movie. Right. There's not one. 
There's literally not a happy Vietnam movie. I mean, we talked about this months ago, but we mentioned uh, Tropic Thunder. Yeah. That's the closest thing. Yeah, that's the closest thing you have, and it's a, you know. not really, yeah. Exactly, because there's there's not much good in Vietnam. You know, politics aside, you know, uh, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Rambo 2 was like sort of, you know, Salone, the politics kind of got in like, oh, yeah, we're winning Vietnam. We're going back and getting our boy. You know, it's it's trying to make uh, not a hap- – it's trying to make a different statement about it. You know, I mean, history, you know, looking back through history, Vietnam was completely unnecessary. Uh, if, if you look at it on the grand scale of things, because it still fell to the communists and nothing happened to Japan after that. We just lost a lot of people and a lot of, pe- a lot of people died and horrible things were done in the name of, you know – quote-unquote, just war, and that's about as political as I'll get on it, blah, blah, blah. So don't compare it to Afghanistan because it's nothing like that uh, if you want to really look at the history. But that's enough of that, like I said. So anyway, mm. it's a good movie, though. But uh, directing-wise, Kubrick, again, I think The, the Shining, notwithstanding, uh, this, is his most, this is his visual masterwork to me. 2001's phenomenal, but it's so much more interpretive, so to speak, where this is just... Just visually amazing, uh, expect, and that's why I really love the second half because, uh, especially the battle scenes, some of the I think some of the best war scenes ever filmed. Uh, like even you know practically before a true Steadicam, you know they're running through the built you know mm-hmm. the uh, the burned out buildings and everything, and it's just large scale and just shot so well. Like I love the shot where animal mother just starts shooting the building, you just see the bullet mm-hmm. like it's just. It's awesome. I mean, it's visually stunning. It's it's just cute, a master at work. And uh, to me, of course, the, the first part, the first half you're going to watch over and over because it's just entertaining. But even, you don't have to see it. You can just hear it. And, it, you know, you're busting a gut at what Hartman's saying to some of these people like Cowboy and Snowball. And, of course, Pyle, unfortunately. But uh, the second half is just that. That's where the, the visual comes in. And it's just, to me, just so amazingly done and again that's all a token to Kubrick who unfortunately you know is no longer with us but uh, a lot of cool really interesting facts on this movie from behind the scenes uh, the first person they want did you read anything on IMDb okay we kind of uh, we always like to you know talk about who could have been who uh, Schwarzenegger was actually considered Oh, excuse me. He turned down Animal. the part of Animal Mother, which that's good because, haha, I don't want to be in this movie. You know, uh, better you than me. You know, that would have been totally. I think Kubrick would have fired him, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and it would have just seemed out of place. But he turned it down to star in The Running Man. So good for him and good for this movie. Uh, Denzel was considered for Eight Ball, uh, but he said that uh, it was a role that he regrets missing out on. Uh, Denzel always strikes me as like a guy who likes to work with talented people. Uh, so I would assume that, you know, regrets it for not missing the chance to work with Stanley Kubrick, which, uh, you know, Tom Cruise bankrolled a, a movie to star with him in just to get that opportunity. Uh, let me see. Oh, uh, now this was, I thought this was really interesting because, again, this is 1987. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall was originally set to play Joker, which, of course, you know, Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, and he turned it down. Or, excuse me, he didn't turn it down, but him and Kubrick couldn't reach uh, an agreement regarding the salary and the schedule, so he was replaced with Modine. Probably the biggest mistake of that dude's life, mm-hmm. if you ask me, because, and I, I think he might have been better than Modine in the role simply because he's a he's someone that's grown up on in the front of the camera at this point, and then you take him, you know, a pretty boy, uh, nerdy boy Brian from the Breakfast Club, and show him as a character in this movie going through the transformation that that character goes through, that could it could have been a groundbreaking role and a breakthrough role for him into other things. Again, this is all hypothetically postulized, you know, thinking. You know, he could have sucked in it. We don't know. Wow. That's an odd picture for his profile picture. <laughs> Doesn't even look like him. But, uh, I mean, I truly think if had he accepted the role, it probably would have, he, his career would have had a hiatus uh, from like 86 to Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so he might have, yeah, but again, you can't say for sure, but it's fun to postulize. Uh, this is really funny because we know how, how meticulous Stanley Kubrick is and how he does a hundred, so many takes. But during filming, a family of rabbits was accidentally killed somehow, tankering mm-hmm. over him. I don't know. But Kubrick was so upset that he canceled the rest of the day. Everybody went home because wow. somebody killed some rabbits. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe somebody did it on purpose to like, this is the 400th take of this. Just kill the fucking rabbit so we can go home. <laughs> Who knows? Let's go get some rabbits. Put them in front of that tank. Yeah. Oops. Uh, Oops. Stanley, uh, we killed some rabbits again. Well, we was hoping, you know, we might as well just go home. <laughs> Not but, this uh, time. <laughs> I've gotten over my my emotions of dying yeah. rabbits. So we're going to film them through the night now. Fuck. But, uh. Now here's a, we always like to bust urban legends or misconceptions on this podcast, like with uh, Robert Unglund, you know, our per, my personal interview with Robert Unglund yeah. from Comic Con and other things. It. Yes, I should have. <laughs> I'm not so tech savvy as you, Jesse. Well, I should have. I wonder what they iPhone. would say if I had like a Go, you know, like the Go GoPro strapped to the chest. It's like, hey, everybody! Oh, it's not on. It's just blinking because the battery's dying. What's that? <laughs> Our YouTube viewers can see me arch my chest towards the microphone as if it were Robert Unglund or more preferably Elvira. Yeah. Like, hey, what's going on? Yep. Yeah, I'm just stretching. What was that again about that? Just run a mic in your sleeve yeah. and wear what's a long that? Sleeve. Like, I just like to pretend I'm holding a microphone when I talk to people. I don't really have one going up my sleeve or anything. Yeah. It's just a personal preference when I speak to people. But really, your iPhone in a top pocket or something like that? That's actually a good idea. Like, yeah, just. Whenever I'm taking notes or something, I just put that in there and just speak. I just hate captures well. I hate pockets. Well, I'm wearing scrubs, so it's a terrible example. So I do have a yeah. pocket on here, but I think it's too deep. It still captured that speaker. Well, it would capture the audio, yeah. Or for video, yeah. <laughs> I will remember that next. I'm gonna wear scrubs next year to Comic Con. There you go. And if I was like, "Are you a doctor?" I'm like, "Why, well, yes, I am." <laughs> Do you want me to be? <laughs> <laughs> I can be a doctor of whatever you need, yeah, ma'am. You want me to be fucking Grandma. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, it is a common misconception that much of Lee Ar- uh, Arlie Army's dialogue was improvised. That is not true. According to him, uh, he worked closely with Kubrick with his own ideas, but also the points that Stanley wanted to make in the script. And so it's a, it was an amalgamation of him and Kubrick's words, so to speak. Uh, but of course, it's all Arlie Ermey's acting and delivery because he was a drill sergeant uh, that brought it to life. You know, so I mean, it is mainly him, but you know, it wasn't all improvised. So, fun fact and true. Uh, and this, I thought this was so funny. Uh, again, Kubrick's a perfectionist. He takes multiple takes, like 60, 99 takes of that one scene in The Shining, just to get what he wanted. Uh, Arlie Army actually slapped D'Onofrio on that scene where he knocks his cover off. Well, mm. guess what? They didn't think about this either when they were doing the scene, but Kubrick liked it so much, so yeah, do it again. Do it again. So D'Onofrio had to endure several slaps by Arlie Army yes. until Kubrick was satisfied. So, Jeez. awesome. You know, thank you, Vincent, for putting up with that. <laughs> Uh, now, again, we talked, this might be what you were talking about, Daniel, about Arlie Army off the, you know, as a person. Uh, he was involved in a Jeep accident during the making of the movie. It was about 1 a.m. in the morning, and he skidded off the road, and he broke every rib on his left side. So, ouch, because a broken rib, there's nothing you can do. You pretty much just get bandaged up, and you got to wait for it to heal. It's not like they put you in a cast. Well, maybe for all your ribs, maybe they do, I don't know. I know for, like, if you have a broken rib, like, you got to be DDPing it up, you know, just... Gauze around your chest and don't be picking up anything. Mm. But anyway, uh, he didn't pass out. He kept flashing his car lights until somebody stopped and helped him. In fact, in some scenes, you might notice he doesn't move his left arm at all. And I think it might be around that time where he's doing the inspection of the uh, bunks. I mean, uh, the lock, foot lockers. I think that might donut scene. Yeah, because I think he keeps his left arm out of sight, and that that's the one that kind of struck up to me. uh, Came to mind when I was reading this. Uh, but anyway, Kubrick said that in an interview that it took four and a half months before Ermy could return to work in which production simply had to be suspended until he returned because all the scenes left to shoot involved him. And in fact, they shot this movie, they shot all the Vietnam stuff first. So the second half of the movie was shot first. Then they shot the, uh, the Paris Island stuff. There's where he just slapped his face. But, uh, and the last scene filmed was a graduation scene. So... Uh, it was almost shot in reverse, so to speak. Not actually reverse, just transposed, I guess would be a better a better way to describe it. Uh, it should be noted, too, that Joker's shirt, the back of his shirt uh, in training camp, uh, is J.T. Davis. It's a deliberate reference to specialist James T. Davis, who was the official first casualty of the Vietnam War. 
Mm. So very poignant to put that on there. Like I mentioned, it was shot first. Bob, you talked about the sample and Baby Got Back. So that's it for the trivia. There, there actually is a ton more on IMDb. Some, there's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, of course, I like to pick out the highlights and the most interesting stuff, but uh, this one had like maybe 100 entries or something. Yeah, so there's a lot of... Uh, some of it's cool. Some of it's you know just, oh, that's interesting. And some of it's very contradictory to what some of the other stuff says. Because, so, again, it's IMDb and everything, so you got to take it, some of it with a grain of salt when... Like when uh, they said Beverly Hills Cop 2 was the first movie to open in 2,000 theaters, and then next week Rambo 2 said it was the first movie to open up in, <laughs> in 2,000 theaters. So anyway, score-wise, Daniel, what would you, as a whole, what would you give Full Metal Jacket? I'd probably give it around an 8. Now, if you, just the first part. A 9. Second part, 7. 7. <laughs> and averages <laughs> out to an 8. I would give it a 9. Uh this is one of those that's I'd watch this thoroughly enjoyable. It on TV. And it's, uh, and honestly, it's not, well, it's, it's sort of rare to me in that there's a movie that is, is a very good movie that's also so rewatchable, if you know, it makes any sense. I mean, Blade Runner is a great movie. I could watch it, you know, not every day, but, you know, every few months I'll pop it in or watch a different cut of it because there's like eight cuts of it. Uh, you know, Jaws is a good example. Like, I can watch Jaws anytime. It's, Charles Shane. You know, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, if it's on, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Deadly Prey, I will, I will drop what I'm doing. I will stop penetrating my wife <laughs> if I know that, that movie's on TV. First of all, because it'd be the first time ever I knew it was on TV. So I'd have to immediately, like, call everybody I know and talk about it and let them know <laughs> it's on TV. I don't believe this. But anyway, yeah, uh, this is definitely one of the best Vietnam movies right up there with Platoon. Uh, definitely more rewatchable than Platoon. To yeah, me. I like I like this more than Platoon. Uh, but again, I think the biggest thing for me is that Platoon just seems a little more personal. If that makes sense, and it it's a little more relatable, I guess, might be uh, in that because you're seeing it all from one perspective, carried through from him getting off the chopper in Vietnam as a naive person and then leaving as somebody different. Whereas this one, you kind of you. I mean, it's similar, but it's just so. It's not disjointed, but it's, you know, it's he's part of the first story and all of the second story. Or second half, I should say. So, But nevertheless, Kubrick is always entertaining and always amazing to me. In fact, if you like this movie, definitely check out Paths of Glory by him. It's, uh, I think it's a, actually it's a World War I movie, which you don't really see many of. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. So uh, it's very good. It's old Kirk. Again, it's black and white with Kirk Douglas, but it's, it's really, really good. Uh, again, this released July 10th, 1987, in the real world. On the day after this movie released, the world population was estimated to have reached 5 billion people, according to the UN. So in 1987, we hit that 5 billion mark. And where are we at now? Like 7, 8, 9? The world population. Yeah. Let's find out. I know it's more than that. <laughs> the clock. Let's see. 7, 7 billion. So, let's see, 87, so we grew 2 billion in about, what, thir- uh, three, one, uh, 17 year, uh, 27 years. Wow. So, up until that, so in 27 years, we, we uh, nearly went up by a half, roughly, from where it was when this movie came out, and then... I wonder how accurate this is, though. Makes you wonder. Yeah, I mean it's just going. It doesn't stop, right? You know? It's an average, obviously. It's... And you know what? You never see it go down. Yeah. You know, people are dying all the time. Well, so just... look, see, look at the net gain. There's a net gain in one person every 15 seconds. Oh, look, actually, they're look. placed into account of the deaths. And, uh, <laughs> well, that's in the U.S. But yeah. So still, every eight seconds, somebody's people. born. Every 13 seconds, somebody dies. So it's almost are two you people sure are being. That's in the U.S. Or that's just happened to be under. Yeah, because see, every time. This centers out every time this hits the end. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, so U.S. population is 318 million. World population is 7.1 billion. So we're not that crowded. Hmm. In fact, there was a cool graphic on Facebook somebody posted where there was a circle around part of China, and it said there are as many people inside the circle as there are outside the circle. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, you know, so just, just to put it into perspective, like we're... You know, we go to Disneyland, it's like, or Disney World, or any theme park, it's like, Jesus, so many people. 
Mardi Gras, Inter- Festival International, Lafayette. <laughs> you know, it's like all these people. It's so crowded. We got it easy mm. over here. So wow. it's crazy out there. Oh, you want to do your, your thing? Or? It was pretty much your thing. It's still your thing. Uh, I just started off. Video, Video game. game. <laughs> Don't blow in your cartridges, kids. <coughs> Video game reset. All right. Uh, dang it, I should have went to it quicker. <laughs> it's cool, man. Video game. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket. Uh, reset. When did it come out? July 10th, 1987. Okay, yeah, July 7th of 1987. Uh, they had a game come out on some type of computer system. It wasn't like the NES. It was called like MS. Yeah. Something. MS-DOS? No. Uh, like MS-X? MS-X2. Or... Yeah. Um, came out in Japan July 7th, 1987, so it actually got a close, close date. By the name of Metal Gear. Metal Gear. Um, Metal Gear is... Oh, main ramp. Call it, I guess you call it a very uh, long-running series starting in 87 and still going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trey, this is one of Trey's favorite game series of all time. Most definitely. Is it all time? Like, is it your favorite? If, because I was, as you were saying that, like, yeah. uh, honestly, probably so. I'd probably say Metal Gear, Mass Effect, maybe Street Fighter, Tell Final me, Fantasy. Uh, did you play this one? No, no. no, Fa- no, no. Favorite Metal Gear and why? Got three is probably uh, Metal Gear Solid. Three is probably the best one overall. Which one? I watched you play one. It's uh, it had to be that one or four. Yeah. It was one of those. Four was probably the most. Four you. The thing about Metal Gear is it's not like uh, a James Bond movie or whatever, or a Godzilla movie for that matter, where you have to see all the other ones to know what's going on. In Metal Gear, it's it's one story through all these games, like yeah. different parts of this character. In fact. Up until Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater, you're playing a solid snake. In part three, you play as big, you play as the enemy, oh, as the the, the villain that. of the original. And ever since then, the series, with the exception of four, and actually the new one, but they've really focused on why Big Boss was doing what he was doing. And it's like you, you know, it, it, you know a hero is one of the things I, th- I think that's so true is a hero is only as good as his villain. Mm-hmm. All the all the great villains and hero, you know, all the great heroes, you know, they say behind every good man is a strong woman. Yeah, but behind every hero is a badass villain. Every good hero is a badass villain. Uh, and you know, for the video game series, I, uh, I want to say it's, it's probably the, one of the first to have that aspect to where you're playing as the villain on his story, as and you're seeing what molded him to do what he does. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he's not so much of a bad guy anymore, yeah. which is. Uh, a brilliant uh, way to handle something in terms of perspective. It reminds me of that movie Hard Candy. How yeah. you're watching it and you're like, oh, she's a bitch. And like, oh, God, he's a dick. Like, what an asshole. And then, oh, wait, no, 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 she is a bitch. No, he is a dick. And the, until the end, you're just like, you don't know who you're going to fucking side with. And then you feel all dirty at the end or even <laughs> thinking that you agreed with one of the character's motivations. Remember that time you came home? In fact, I told this story earlier this week to Jason and Martian Autumn while we were eating at Mason's. Uh, about how you, I think it was you and Andrea came back, and you're like, dude, what's wrong? Are you sick? I'm like, no, I just watched a movie, bro. You remember that? Uh. <laughs> I do. Anyway, it did happen. <laughs> yeah. like, I, just, I just watched Hard Candy. That was, it's probably the most disturbing movie I've ever seen. Damn. To be perfectly honest with you. Because like, I, I literally sat there like, oh, man, I feel weird. <laughs> and it's not even like gory. Like It's not like, you know, it's just the subject matter yeah. was just so... Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, talk about Metal Gear. But yeah, uh... Metal Gear Solid 4 was probably like that one gave me like the most chills you know what I'm saying Cause it, but again it was because certain people from earlier in the series are dying or they're throwing back to this I mean one of the I don't think y'all will ever play it because I mean again it's a huge series nope uh, but of course in, in, when Metal Gear Solid came out for Playstation 1 you fought Metal Gear Rex Metal Gear is like a mech I played Metal Gear Solid uh, uh, that's, yeah. that's about the only one though I mean that's still one of the best I mean mm-hmm. that's the one that brought the series back and then uh, in Metal Gear Solid 2, you fought Metal Gear Ray, which was like a... They're both bipedal, but Rex was sort of like a bulky, kind of a traditional mech, and then Ray was more like a sleek, aquatic one. But then in 4, uh, Ocelot's like in, I think, Ray, 
like trying to kill you or something. But then you find Metal Gear Rex, and then you basically fight him in a Metal Metal Gear versus Metal Gear. Mm-hmm. But like when you're watching that scene happen, it's just like the you come out. I mean, it's epic. It's one of those huge moments. Like as a fan of the series, I was like grinning from ear to ear, and it's like uh, in Final Fantasy X when uh, you know when he jumps. And you see Jack and Nora and everybody like there, and you know it's it's just it's a feel good moment. It was just awesome. But anyway, uh, Metal Gear, honestly, probably in my opinion, the greatest game franchise, <coughs> French, my favorite video game franchise by far. Not by by you know a good margin. <laughs> I don't want to discount the other great game series out yeah, there. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, that's the thing. But Metal Gear was because uh, get Metal. Uh, funny thing too, Metal Gear Solid came out the same year Ocarina of Time did, and of course. Uh, I didn't play Ocarina of Time until about a year later when I got it in 64 because I was spending all my money on PlayStation games at that time. You know, so it was, uh, I need to play it till later. But uh, the big thing that year was what's going to win game of the year? Was it going to be Ocarina of Time or Metal Gear Solid? Mm-hmm. And Metal Gear Solid came in second. Like in, in most, yeah. uh, I honestly, outside of Japan, well, I don't even know in Japan maybe, but uh, you know, it, it really got overshadowed, I think, critically by Ocarina of Time. But, I mean, it's Zelda. I mean, it's in pro- and arguably the best Zelda outside of the original. Uh, that was a big thing. So I was like, oh, Ocarina of Time's so awesome. Like, but then, like, Jason was the only one other person I knew that played Metal Gear and we're just like, oh my god, when that, like, that fight was so epic, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, it's, it made us better friends because we, <laughs> nobody was playing Metal Gear but us. I really was playing Ocarina of Time. That's right. But, yeah. Both great games, but Metal Gear Solid better. Oh, and unique. I mean, send your emails. Eighties revisit. Gmail. Yeah, tell me why. Tell me why Ocarina of Time was so innovative when this when Metal Gear Solid Psycho Manus read your memory card and what? told you things about yourself. What so year was that again? Ninety seven, ninety eight, maybe not. Shit, I don't know. It was late nineties. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm curious because it was uh, it was the same year. Because yeah, 7 was 87, 8 was uh, 99, because the release date was 9999 for Final Fantasy 8. I guess I got that. Mm, excuse me. Yeah, he died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. United States. Oh, that'd be... I mean, there's so many titles I gotta... Yeah, let's see. It's not Metal Gear 2, obviously. Metal Gear... First of all, PlayStation 98. Wait, hold on. Uh, Why don't you just look up Metal Gear Solid? I did. Yeah, it's 98. Oh, okay. <laughs> 1998. In video gaming. I had them both. Got the you also time. had like a arcade machine of Donkey Kong. <laughs> so we had Resident Evil 2 that year. Another great Starcraft game. that year. Oh, uh, the first Unreal. I, I, Banjo-Kazooie. I, I, I was about to say, Banjo-Kazooie is under Rainbow Six. Grim Fandango, which is a Banjo-Kazooie Fallout is fantastic. Half-Life. Sui Coden 2. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that was PC only at that point, so I mean, uh, that. Baldur's Gate. Sui Coden 2 is a fantastic game. Starcraft yeah, Brood War in the same year? Mm hmm. Holy crap. That's oh, in 64. That's a good year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I was going to say, there was, there was some time in between, you know, remember that? That's Age a, of Empires, Rise of Rome. That's a huge bit. Oh, <laughs> Tribes, fucking A. Tom Clancy stuff. Baldur's Gate. That's what no, that, was a, that was really an amazing year. Rogue Squadron, Blood Omen 2. Wait, no. Was that, that's Blood 2. Tomb I played Raider the 3. shit out of Mario Party. The first one. Oh, the original South Park game, game sucked. Yeah, So did. bad. Man. That was a good year. Game? Contrary to the original. I mean, the excuse me, the latest oh, South Park game. That's which the is game I was talking about. Really fantastic good. game. Yeah. Mm. So. That's my best that year. RPG huh? series right there. <laughs> Still Metal Gear Solid. Okay. I'd say Resident Evil 2 would be second. Thief. No. Started it. Half Life was great, but it just didn't blow me away like it blew away so many other people. I mean, it was a it great blew me story. Away. Blew me away. I, I still play. <laughs> I think I'll go through Half Life today, <laughs> and I'll just go through the whole Zeno game. Zeno Gears was a good game. Yes, it was. Panzer Dragoon Saga. I wanted to play, but I didn't never have never Saturn. had Saturn. And the Dreamcast was launched that Damn, year. Damn, that was a good year. Yep, really was. Good deal. First anyway, six too. That whoa. Video game reset. And this week's Back to the Future. Uh, of course, last week we talked about some current films uh, at the theater. Uh, this week I just want to recommend, uh, I love a good documentary. Uh, and, I, and they're really kind of hard to find really 
not necessarily unique, but really meaningful, good ones that uh, inspire you in a way. Let me put it that way. Sure. Uh, but at Christmas of last year, my brother told me, dude, you need to watch this documentary called Searching for Sugar Man. And it is relevant, actually, because the director was found dead last week or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't, didn't really read why. But anyway, so when he told me that, I uh, immediately downloaded some of the music from Rodriguez, who the movie's about. And I love the music. Music's phenomenal. Finally got around to actually watching the documentary last week. And it's one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard in my life. Uh, without spoiling anything about the story, it's, again, it's a documentary. It's it's true. Uh, they show you everything uh, about it and about him and about his music. And it's just, it's one of those stories, like, it's, it's sh- it was shocking to me that this happened in this day and age, this story. Uh, but again, I don't want to spoil anything about it. Uh, but basically, it's about a musician who was a nobody everywhere in the world except South Africa. So, hmm. but when you watch the documentary, you'll see why. Uh, they explain how his music like spoke to him during apartheid and everything in that country. And like I said, the director was found dead in Sweden uh, last week, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure if it was like natural causes or an overdose or what. Technically, but, uh, two, three weeks ago. Whatever. Oh yeah, yes, or yeah. We're, we're record, this is releasing later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he recently passed away. But the documentary itself, and uh, go back to it real quick. I actually think it was nominated for an Oscar. Might have won an Oscar. It had won one Oscar. Oh yeah, uh, was the best documentary I assume. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Uh, but it's it's really good, and the story that it tells is exceptionally unique, and. Rodriguez's music is actually really good. Like, uh, in fact, I was listening to his album, his first album today. So uh, yeah, go, go up. I would highly, highly it, recommend it's it. On Amazon Instant Video, is that what that means? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. So you can right. watch it on that, or of course you can go to awesomepods.com, click on the Amazon link, and buy it, or buy your Prime membership to watch it on Amazon Instant Video. We already did it's, that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's uh, you know. We like to recommend some good movies all the time uh, and give our take on some current movies, but uh, this is something a little more serious, but a little more, a uh, little different. Little, you know, it's very good. Uh, there's a song called, uh, oh, what's the name of it? There's a, I Wonder, which is a good one. Uh, Here we go. Oh, I go. Wonder. Like, it shocks me that this song wasn't in a movie. Like, it sounds like something you might have heard before. But uh, Rodriguez in South Africa was bigger than Elvis and bigger than the Beatles and bigger than the Rolling Stones in that country. But everywhere else, nobody ever heard of him. And he's from America. They say say why? Yeah. They pretty much explain. In fact, uh, they deal with... uh, They don't don't answer one question in the movie, which you'll... you'll, They'll talk to a guy and he kind of dodges the question. Mm -hmm. And you'll kind of see what... like They don't want to talk about... They basically don't want to say where all the money went from all the sales. Yeah. Like, they didn't go to him. Yeah. You know, so, but uh, it's it's truly, like, I don't know why they haven't made a real, like, a, bio, a biopic about it, you know, with Benicio Del Toro or something, I don't know. Coming soon. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it, it's just an incredible story, like, it, and listening, having listened to his music, like, a, a decent bit to where I could say I'm a fan of it, it's really, to me, it's shocking that he's not, people don't know him. Because one of the quotes in the movie, do now. In, in the doc, hopefully, <laughs> and I encourage you to go download some of his music and uh, check out the documentary. But uh, one of the direct quotes from some of the the producers in are like, they expected so like they like they loved the music, they believed in his music, as opposed to today where you got Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber and blah blah blah, Kesha, you know, where it's just like not, doesn't say anything. But they were saying how this guy was writing lyrics on par, you know, better than Bob Dylan. Better than all these other people, and they had they just assumed the sky was the limit for the guy, and then nothing happened over here. Hmm. And they don't even know how a copy of the album got to South Africa. They kind of speculate that somebody brought it with them and left it, and it just spread like wild. Like over there, uh, one guy said, uh, "You'd go into a house and you'd see a copy of Abbey Road, you'd see a copy of, uh, I think he said a Bob Dylan album, and then the other one in every house was a copy of Cold Fact by Rodriguez." Which was the main album, and hmm. he said that was that what everywhere you'd go, that's all people were listening to in that country, because of the current political climate and kind of the, the meaning of a lot of the, the message of a lot of the music. So, wow. and I know you're a music guy too, so I think you really appreciate. Yeah. It. And Dana, you like good music too. So, and uh, all you out there, I try to watch it. If it's on. Prime. Give it a. Uh, it's like an hour and a half, but it's. I mean, it's good. It's just yeah. like 
I was just, again, it, it was shocking, the story of it is, but it's such a good story. And it makes me glad to know there are certain people out there like this guy. Mm. That makes any sense, but you'll see it when you get when you uh, watch it. So, yeah. But that does it for this week. That We are leaving 87 behind. Next week we're headed to 1988. So I please hope you'll join us. <laughs> he gets it. Yeah. I think Next, everybody got that I hope, one. I, I hope so. I mean, there, I'm <laughs> sure there are people born in the 90s that listen to the. Oh, I, I would like to think that we're educating some of you youngins on some of these great movies that you might have heard your your older brother or your dad talk about. You may have seen something on Facebook recently, I'm sure. Yeah. People have made their own art about this. Yeah, so <laughs> next week we're going to kind of go over a mystery and we're going to try to figure out as a group who actually framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we'll get to the bottom of this case. I have my ideas. <laughs> I got my suspects. Yeah, definitely. I got some more poking around to do in Toontown. So uh, let's, let's get our notes together and we'll meet back here in a week and uh, we'll compare notes and see if we can figure out who did this. Yep. You know, uh, watch out for that Eddie Valiant guy. <laughs> Valiant. But anyway, yeah, of course, and don't forget, Age Visit is merely part of the Awesome Podcast Network. There's also Geekly Dose, uh, which probably by the time you listen to this, probably will have a new episode out as well. Uh, there's also the, all the old episodes of our podcast, but also Duo Attack, the Jesse Sedgley Podcast, Why Don't You Know This, and Republic City Report, and more in the future. So check those out. Give us a listen. Give us a like. Drop us a line. And again, uh, after we, we're going into 80, uh, 88 next week. So uh, we got actually next week and week after that is the end. We got two episodes left going through the '80s uh, year by year. Some of the movies we haven't done each year, but after that, we're going to be doing our request month. We got two spots filled. We got two left. So shoot us an email of a movie that we haven't done that you'd like us to do. So get your two spots, get them in, and we'll go from there. And again, this is all leading up to our 100th episode, which will blow your fucking minds believe me <laughs> there, there's a there's a question that i've off that's been debated on schoolyards in college dorms in the white house itself and in the international space station and we will answer that question on our 100th episode i'm i i'm not overhyping it either i mean yeah, we've all thought under hyping like, it if anything exactly i can't even hype it enough to, to equal what it is so tune in next week right for roger rabbit and until then i remain trey harris Daniel San Angelo. Yes, he said it. Cowabunga! This show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods. 